millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm David Jenkins. I'm Marina Shodi. And I'm Hafa Salis Ross. A Moroccan holiday goes south for Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain in John Martin McDonough's The Forgiven. Tilda Swinton has a slightly more successful weekend in Istanbul with Idris Elba in 3,000 Years of Longing. And on Film Club this week, we're taking another peep at Pier Paolo Pasolini's bawdy 1974 epic, Arabian Nights. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hafa. First time into the podcast, welcome. Uh, I understand you are currently in more exotic climes than the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the meeting rooms of TCO London in, 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 in Shoreditch. Yes, so I am speaking to you guys straight from the Venice Film Festival. I am so thrilled to be joining today. I listen to this every week, so I'm very excited. And if you hear some um, background noise, it's because I am sat right next to the very busy lifts of the Palazzo. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're and you're also recording on on your AirPods due to uh, you know due, for, for 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 tech for for kind of um tech reasons so yeah that's why your your audio might be a little bit muffled but you know that's that's the kind of uh that's the kind of risk we want to take to get some cool on the ground uh reportage from the venice film festival so um but yeah are you having a are you having an all right time over there how uh, 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 what have you seen so far it's very hard to have a bad time in venice <laughs> to be there. Um, I think even if the only thing I was allowed to watch here was repeats of 13 Reasons Why, I would still fairly enjoy myself. Um, so it is great to be here. It's only day two. So yesterday we had white noise. Um, I was fairly lukewarm on that. And then we had the Lars von Trier TV show, which is always an experience. And Kate Blanchett and Tar, um, very, very good. I have just come out of Bardo, which so far from the people I spoke to, I seem to be the most enthusiastic on, um, but maybe it's because I am also Latina, I identify with the diaspora, uh, but yeah, I, I quite like that. Um, so I'm very looking forward to So that's to the new film from Inaritu. Alessandro Inaritu, yes. Yes. Yeah, um, he is not right. always a favorite of mine. When I love his films, I love them, and when I don't, I hate them. Um, 
So, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was uh, quite the experience, and I think I'll need a couple more hours to to start digesting it. But yeah, but and you're gonna. I understand you're you're gonna be reviewing that one for Little White Lies. So that's this is your. So I think when this pod goes out, we're we're, we're recording in that point where just before you actually write your review. But by the time people hear this this pod, your review will actually be out there. So there's going to be a weird kind of time delay and people will know more about what you think if they've gone to the Little White Lies website. Yeah, it's half in the bardo of the Little White Lies multiverse. Um, yeah. Indeed. <laughs> um, and, and hey there, Marina, you're, this is your uh, sec- second pod, I believe. Yes, hello. <laughs> and all, all well with you? Yes, all good. So I, I I wanted to, I guess for this week, the films that we're covering, and I think purely by chance, or maybe a bit by by our kind of Machiavellian setting up of, of, of the, of the uh, selections, um, I guess we, we, all the films this week, Forgiven, 3,000 Years of Longing, Arabian Nights, they're all films, they're all stories set in Middle East and North Africa. Um, and they're all films directed by white men so it's that this we're getting these uh interpretations of of um i guess uh orientalism and uh african culture and um the 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 uh, mythic you know the sort of mythical culture of the region um marina what uh, have you having seen all the films are are you seeing a kind of positive connectivity there or do you are you seeing some questionable stuff that we could maybe get into later when we cover the films i mean it's this interesting thing that you see in hollywood mostly where um africa is kind of seen as uh like incapable of modernity uh, whereas islam is seen as completely resistant to it and kind of how white directors use that space that not not only white directors, you see it in cinema, you see it in literature, you see it in art history, um, where they just take this space either that's either a space of corruption and backwardness or this like mythical, exotic source of um, intrigue and it becomes a literal site of excavation. And I, yeah, and I mean, it's it's kind of I guess it's fascinating this week that we're going to be covering uh, covering that those issues across you know half a century of of, of filmmaking from Pasolini to to the present day. So, just a quick note before we uh, get onto the reviews: a note to join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. Um, if you do so, you'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for detailed breakdown of our plans. Also, just a little reminder that Little White Lies issue 95, the decision to leave issue, inspired by uh, and a, 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 a print shrine to the new film by uh, South Korean director Park Chan-wook, is now available through our website and on the shelves of all good magazines sellers. So now on to the movies. The Forgiven takes place over a weekend in the Moroccan desert. 
and explores the reverberations of a random accident on the lives of both the locals and Western visitors to a house party in a grand villa. We've all been there. Marina, this film has um, notes. I guess it's notable. So it's, the film is directed by John Michael McDonough, who is the brother of uh, the possibly a little bit more widely lauded and uh, uh, Martin McDonough of Three Billboards and the incoming Banshees of Inishirin fame. Um, one of the films that I loved by John Martin McDonough was a film called Calvary from a, from a few years back. Uh, but he is he seems to have been quite off the boil of late. And it feels quite notable that this film has completely bypassed the festival circuit. And maybe that's a bit of a leading question, but like, um, is it, is, can you, can you give us a bit of an overview of the film and maybe sort of an insight into why festivals might have uh, veered away from this one? Basically in this film, uh, yeah, Ralph Fiennes and Jessica Chastain are an unhappily married couple they fly to Morocco to visit their friends Richard and Dali, played by uh, Matt Smith and Caleb Landry Jones, um, who are playing a happy couple, happier couple. Um, and they're throwing a big party in their uh, vacation home, which is this like lavish, completely like showered in decadence, full of like servants. Um, it's like a palace almost. They um so a function on the way a Moroccan boy with their car, and basically that boy is killed, and then that whole thing transpires into a dud, I would call it. <laughs> um, I was just like asking myself throughout the whole film, like, who greenlit this? Um, because it's just so surface level in terms of its characterization in terms of its like it's trying so hard to critique orientalism and it fails even harder did you guys think that yeah i think i also agree it's a little bit of a dud and coming back to the to what we were just talking about it is very clearly this white man trying to to make a point about something he's not entirely familiar with and maybe not even vaguely familiar with um and i also like calvary and it is a shame that he has never managed to repeat that kind of recipe of wit and just a, a very tight script but sometimes i think it's also um uh a cast that is suited to these characters and even though we have quite a banging cast here none of them are even near top form and i think it's because of the script itself but you have these little jokes um and not to spoil the film too much but but there's a moment when ray fine's character is confronted with um having to to kind of go into a space with these people and he is just mentioning ISIS and um, it's meant to be this throwaway line and to punctuate this moment there but it just falls very flat and um, Madonna does bring these characters in uh, the locals to to try and alleviate the, the whiteness and the foreignness of it all and it never truly works it feels really disconnected 
it feels like these are these pawns walking around these rich white people and they are only there to complement their lines um yeah it, it felt very unengaging in general i think yeah but what hafa was saying that like it feels like the arab just becomes like this one dimensional narrative tool not to aid like some crazy character arc or anything but just to like point out to lazy satire and it's not dumb enough to be fun or like bad enough to be funny i mean i mean the the the, the way the way it's described you know makes the film sound also like a kind of like that that perhaps mcdonald's interest is as a is on a critique of capitalism and the kind of um all all that that implies and i mean it 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 the logline makes it sound a lot like the the tom wolf novel bonfire of the vanities about the you know the rich city new york city trader who runs over someone and then like the kind of i guess the sort of the the the, the way that this guilt suffuses his life and brings out all these terrible aspects of his of his person and um um yeah i mean you know the, the, it's but it sounds like it's been placed in this in this sort of you know orientalist context and in in, in foreign mm. within these kind of quote unquote foreign clients to to sort of push this idea of of like there there being a kind of inherent racist exploitational aspect to capitalism and 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 the rich um do, you, do, do is that an idea that came across in it uh, is that something that that gives the film any value I don't think so because it has been done in so many different ways and in so many better ways. I think when you're approaching something <laughs> that has been approached so very often, you need to you don't need yeah. to reinvent the wheel, but you need to do something that makes the film seem like it has somewhat a reason to exist and this just doesn't feel like it. Um I finished watching it and an hour later I couldn't remember the characters names. I couldn't it's it's true like I couldn't remember what they did. I'm like was this a fever dream? Um yeah, so I don't think succeeds in that either. It almost feels like it tries to cast a net that's so wide that absolutely every single element loses nuance and doesn't have enough breathing space to actually become something let alone make any type of commentary and and word around the campfire is that it's got an all-time awful ending I and mean, you don't need to go into what that ending is but oh, um, is is there is there truth to the rumor <laughs> yes. yes yeah <laughs> it is okay. it, it's just, it's just L- not good is it no, i quite like the fact that good. i quite like the fact that josh on his little by lies review and um, made a whole point of putting this against babel Mm-hmm. which once again we're going back to to Nyarhitu and this is a film that even though I don't think is a masterpiece does this very competently um and the same cannot be said here uh, and the ending is a, is a big point of difference between the two so let let's let's jump on and do some scores for this so we have uh, a 3 tier rating system in um anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect each out of five so uh hafa if you want to, do you want to, do you want to take the lead on this one 
Yes, so um, in anticipation, I would say that every time Christopher Abbott is in something, it's at least a three. I am a massive Christopher Abbott fan, and I quite like Madonna, so it would have been a three for me. Enjoyment uh-huh. is, um, and I am so sorry to say this, but it's a flat one. Um, I wish I was doing something else, which includes getting a vaccine, um, <laughs> cleaning my house, um, going for my MOT. That any of that would have been a bit more fun. Uh, and in retrospect, that's a, a two, probably. Uh, just not great. Sorry. <laughs> Marina. So in anticipation, I would also go with three. Uh, in enjoyment, uh, I would score a little bit higher than Hatha. I would go with a two because um, there's basically this whole ordeal with a little um, like Dalek toy. And I found myself just thinking, is Matt Smith in this like cinematic universe not the 11th Doctor? And if so, then 11th Doctor in this universe. So just because it prompted a different thought, I would, yeah, go for two and probably two in retrospect as well. Damning. Damning from both of you. <laughs> so that is... It's okay. No, that's, we're here to be damning. We're, it's called Truth in Movies, and that's why. Um, so, yeah. So, um, that, thank you very much, guys, for The uh, Forgiven by John Martin McDonough, which is out in cinemas on Friday. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Alethea Binney, a scholar, encounters a djinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. Their conversation in a hotel room in Istanbul leads to consequences neither would have expected. So this is the new film by the great George Miller, one of Australia's greatest directors, uh, certainly greatest living directors, uh, known primarily for his uh, Mad Max films, 
and his kind of grand folly Mad Max Fury Road, which is many people's most beloved modern action film. Uh, but this is, and, and you know, if you look down his filmography, he isn't just a kind of action guy on a, and he doesn't just do kind of mainstream spectacle. He has done various other quite uh, strange, more muted dramas. I mean, big personally big fan of the Babe movies, especially Pig in the City, which has been uh, a Little White Lies Truth and Movies film club in the past, deservedly so. Uh, but yeah, no, and he also has done weirder stuff like that movie Lorenzo's Oil with Nick Nolte, which uh, I have seen but don't remember anything about. Um, this maybe seems like it's something a little bit more uh, uh, on the in the wheelhouse of his kind of more muted dramas, but... Um, Hafa, can you uh, give us a little like? Could you just give us a a, dis- a description of the vibe of this film? Well, it's funny because I came out of this film and I told a colleague of mine, "This could be called Three Thousand Years of Longing," or he's just not that into you. And it's just uh, there's a lot of this <laughs> there's a lot of this film that I liked visually, and I think this is mostly because of the collaboration between Miller and John Seal, who was also the cinematographer of Mad Max Fury Road. Um, but there's just this disconnection between Toto Swinton and Idris Elba that to me, if casting had been a little bit stronger, I think this film could have been um, 3,000 times better. But still, I um, fairly enjoyed it. It is, as we were saying in the synopsis, this woman who is um, a lonely but very settled scholar and she has a penchant for knickknacks and in one of her trips she she's um, giving a lecture uh, in a different country and she picks up this, it's not, it's not a lamp, it's, it's a little bottle and there she goes, this gin um, and they go into this journey together and George Miller just takes us to different times and different stories and he's very good in storytelling. So I would say those snippets of the film when we get to be fully immersed on the world that he's creating are truly outstanding, especially if you're watching it on a big screen, which I would advise everyone to try and do. Uh, It's just everything that happens outside of that is simply not as strong, I would say. So, Marina, can I ask you what if you could take up the lead there and just could you just describe the visual look of this film? Is it is it very effects heavy? And are, you know, are, are Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba are they just sort of like the sort of interstitial narrators, or are they actually in the in the stories? So visually, well, just to start off by saying that I did really enjoy this. Um, in terms of visually, I saw a tweet a couple of days ago by Screen Slate that compared the uh, film's visual look to like a 90s CD-ROM PC game. Uh, and I was like, that is definitely how this film should be uh, experienced. Um, I think structurally, it was a bit awkward and slapdash because the first kind of like two-thirds of the film, it's Idris Elba's Jin character kind of reflecting and like recollecting and sharing past memories and series of, fla- of flashbacks. 
And then towards the end, it just becomes kind of unbalanced because then it, it kind of becomes rooted in the present. Um, I think there was chemistry between um, Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba, but I don't think they were given much to work with in terms of their relationship. I wish it was a bit more, like you could feel the, the passion. Um, but, you know, even though I enjoyed this, when I sit to think about it, it does become a bit more murky when it comes to um, like this spectacularized glare when it comes to myth and folklore that's tied to quote-unquote the Orient and how religion, culture, custom are kind of homogenized into this fiction and fantasy and masquerade. Uh, and also, what the hell is a professor of narratology? Is that a thing? Is that a real thing? I don't well, actually know. Yeah, but to be fair, I was reading a couple weeks ago that there's a whole class at a U.S. university about Harry Styles. I think if you know about something enough, you can most definitely become <laughs> a professor in the area. Um, and just watch White Noise here and, and Adam Driver is a Hitler studies professor. So, yeah, there's interesting things in cinema, professor-wise, I'd say. And can I ask uh, Hafa, like, one of the things that's, that's interesting about this film and, and maybe quite radical is that, you know, it does take this sort of compendium-like structure where you have all these sort of short interwoven stories. Did you feel that there was a kind of strong arc that tied everything together or was it, was it a bit bitty for you? Well, I, I think the, the first two acts feel very strong to me, um, even though I feel like at points... The, the politics between the two of them and the power dynamics are very skewed. I think that when we are out of the hotel room where they are confined in present in present time and we go back to the past and we're just listening to Idris Elba and his wonderfully velvety voice tell us about the adventures he's been through, I think it's very beautifully done and beautifully interwoven and there's a sense of claustrophobia um, even though this gin is telling us about being some of the most um, important moments in history, he always goes back to this idea that he had to wait in between these, these periods and he was in this bottle uh, and I felt mm. particularly very claustrophobic. So I think this is very well done. And the cinematography mm -hmm. is stunning. The special effects are stunning. It's truly, truly beautiful. It feels like you're into this fantasy and you're fully immersed. I just think that when you're out of this and you're back to the hotel room, and in particularly, in particular, the third act, when the two of them move out of their space altogether, it loses this magic. I, I wanted to keep in this fantasy. I, I wanted to be allowed a little bit more of that. And I, sorry, Marina, but I disagree. I think there was absolutely no chemistry between the two. So when we're out of this, I'm like, they don't want to touch each other. I don't think they want anything to do with each other. They're suffering from the Jessica Chastain, the forgiving syndrome of um, no sexiness whatsoever. It, it is very painful for me to see this romantic attempt when something platonic could have been beautifully done here. Uh, it could have been much more of her found, finding companionship 
in a different way. Uh, and I quite like the idea of a woman who's happy without it. It was very well established at the beginning and she was so comfortable in saying, I don't need anyone. I love what I do. I am accomplished. It would have been great. And then we just veer back towards this, this relationship that to me felt beyond lukewarm. The film has actually been out in the US and has been a bit of a disaster at the box office. Um, uh, and yeah, I wondered, does does that make sense to you? Does that does that kind of scan for the, the, the type of film it is? Is it something that's that's maybe not got that kind of mainstream appeal to it, despite the fact that it has, you know, these, you know, relatively big stars and, you know, a big uh, name director and lots of special effects? And I don't think it was marketed correctly, to be honest with you, because I, I mentioned to a friend the other day that I'd, I'd gone to the to a screening of the film and they were just like, I, I had no idea that that was coming out. Mm. So I do think it is a case of not marketing it properly. Right, okay. Well, let, let's get some scores on this one. Um, Marina, let's go to you first this time. Uh, anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect, all out of five, please. I think it's threes across the board for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the one thing that will like that I will remember from this film is the font that they used for the subtitles. I don't know who made that choice, but that's 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 going to be an, an extra mark for that's probably going to be a, add an anticipation point for our uh, editor Jake, <laughs> who is who is very uh, uh, hot on 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 uh, typefaces. So um, and uh, it's very nice. Uh, it's very nice unless you're dyslexic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> other than that, it's very lovely. But anticipation for me, this was a solid four, perhaps even five. I love George Miller. I agree with you. I think Babe is a masterpiece. I think he's one of those directors who is um, just so bold and daring and unafraid to have fun with what he does. And I'm a big Tilda Swinton fan. I like fantasy films. I was very excited. Enjoyment-wise, I'll give it a three, only because of the relationship plot. I don't think this was nearly as strong as the rest. So it's a three. So in retrospect, this would be a nice round three for George Miller for me. Perfect. That was 3,000 Years of Longing. And now, finally, to wrap things up, let's move over to uh, Truth and Movies Film Club which is Pier Paolo Pasolini's 1974 film, Arabian Nights. In ancient Arabia, a beautiful slave girl chooses a youth to be her new master. Then she is kidnapped and they must search for each other. Stories are told within stories, love, travel and the whims of destiny. So uh, just to add a little bit of context before we start the discussion... This is the final part of a trilogy that uh, Pasolini made um, in the seventies. Uh, about uh, which is, I, I don't think he, I don't know if he called it this, but it's, it has since been termed the the, the trilogy of life. Uh, it is kind of intended as, I guess, in the same way as the George Miller film, 
a joyful and affirmative and lusty look at storytelling in in, in their ancient forms and uh, famously one that's quite kind of liberated in terms of its depictions of uh, the human body and uh, stories of, of a more kind of mm. tactile corporal corporeal nature shall we say uh, they are they all these films that like, I guess they fit under I mean they're sort of borderline soft core in a way they you know they're definitely <laughs> kind of for for adult viewers um, uh, in, uh, and, mm. and I think that that it's you know, one of the things that I love about the movies is that, you know, Pasolini's very kind of open and uh, not, you know, and 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 nonchalant about his, how he presents bodies and uh, the, the, the both the male and female form in all their kind of uh, glory. And he, and, um, you know, as usual with his, I mean, one part of his kind of project since, since starting as a filmmaker has been a real kind of like, um, the way he casts, the way he picks actors and presents faces and bodies is just, um, he, he kind of goes against the kind of convention, what you'd sort of call the conventional uh, uh, definitions of beauty. And, and But that's not to say his films and the people in them aren't very beautiful in their own way. Um, finally, just to say, yeah, the uh, it's interesting to read that so he made these films and then um they were actually quite big hits in italy uh they 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 like a lot of people went to see these films and loved them and not only that it actually spawned a kind of movement in italy where lots of people used these classical texts like the arabian nights and previously the decameron and um chaucer's um canterbury mm. tales and uh they 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 started this kind of mini movement in it, in italy of using using these kind of bawdy tales from like medieval literature to make these 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 movies about them where the the, the comprise of little vignettes. Uh, although mm. these these films were definitely more softcore with a capital S uh, and marketed <laughs> as kind of erotic movies. And apparently, uh, Pasolini absolutely hated what he had spawned, being a, a kind of lifelong Marxist. Um, he he he, hate, he hated the fact that his films had kind of like spawned this capitalist beast, and he went on di- and disowned them. And then he made his his kind of infamous swan song Salo after that, which um, is is you know a, a graphic depiction of fascism, which you know maybe is a is a film club for another day. But um, maybe maybe if we can start with you, Marina, can you can you tell us what's your relationship with Pasolini? Is it, is it was this a first time view, and what what was your what was your what was your kind of like immediate take on the film? So I'd seen Salo, but being aware of the uh, the trilogy of tr- trilogy of life, it's kind of interesting how he hits on the like the great books of the world literary canon that had at the time been sanitized to the extent of being presented as, you know, children's tales to a certain extent and kind of re-injecting the sexuality and the physicality and the intimacy. But it doesn't have those blatant, like, oriental trappings that a film like 3,000 Years of Longing or um, The Forgiven does. It, It... 
foregrounds that the people is subject and the women actually have agency and the men are completely stupid and Hafa what about yourself I mean I know you 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 managed to watch this while over in Venice um (laughs) which must have been quite an experience for you it's funny because and once again uh, pardon me cinephiles I had not watched this film before and I watched it on my computer uh and I downloaded I got a film and I was going to watch it in the airplane on the way here and I am so very glad that I did not. <laughs> that would have been the most uncomfortable experience. I, like, I would actually, I, I would say that you'd, the airline would have probably banned you for life. Yeah, can you imagine? I would not be allowed near children. I would probably be kicked out. Of, I, I don't know. And I don't know what kind of words we can say in this podcast, but it was incredibly uh, graphic. And so I'm glad that I watched in the comfort and the safety of my bedroom so yeah my, my relationship with Pasolini is not as extensive as I wish it was I have watched quite a few of these films uh of his films but not all I watched The Gospel According to St. Matthew which I fairly like and Teorema which I like a fair bit as well but this isn't necessarily my type of film uh, I'm sounding like I hate all films. I swear to God, I love films. I have a lot of fun with films, but I, I, <laughs> I found it hard to connect with it. The story in itself is very interesting and the way that Pasolini approaches his themes and the way that he moves between one central character to another uh, and he's telling this main love story through other characters' experiences. I found that engaging. But overall, I just wasn't entirely grasped by it, um, grabbed by it. I think that the thing that I like the most about it is, as you were saying, David, how free he felt sexually. I think some of his other films have been less free and a bit more critical of religion and in doing so not perpetuating but replicating some of the more conservative religious themes that we can see or going the entire opposite way uh, being fairly over the top in his criticism of religion and other political themes but here there's this freedom with the body and sexuality and desire that feels so equal um, so genderless, there is a naturality that in the first 20 minutes you're fairly taken aback. Uh, it is, as I said, fairly graphic, a lot of frontal nudity. But once you get to the rhythm of this, this story and what it does, it is a bit easier to, to engage with these notions of freedom and desire that he's presenting. I was fairly mesmerized by some of the acting, but in particular, the the two main characters, especially the woman. I wish I could pronounce her name, but I think I will butcher this. Um, But yeah, I, I thought it was beautiful. I thought the way that she moved and the way that she spoke and her giggle and the, the relationship that she built, the relationships that she built throughout were were a high point for me most definitely and to be a little bit <laughs> at the end of it there's a cgi or well, not a cgi special effects lion 
that they got me giggling for the five minutes uh, at the end of it. I thought it was just so bonkers and interesting and visually, uh, not deading, but visually ahead of its time, truly. <laughs> so yeah, quite yeah, an experience. The, the, the green screen lion and then there's also yeah. a bit with, with the, the... Oh my God, I screamed. When I saw yeah. that lion, I screamed. That, 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 that's pretty awesome. I'm trying to think if, 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 yeah, I'm not sure that's something Pasolini has done often in his films, but I guess the necessity of, you know, if you want to include a lion in your film and it's 1974, then, yeah. you know, green, green screen is probably the best, best way to do it. Um, but the scale, but, the, the scale is just, I was, yeah. I felt so um, impossibly immature because I stopped the film and I'm like, oh my God, I need to appreciate this human-sized lion as an allegory at the end of this Pasolini <laughs> film. Um, I thought, yeah, I, I will remember this for years and years to come. So I'm really glad I watched it. Uh, and I agree with it. I think it is, out of the three, I think it is the one that is that does the best job of approaching political and ethical themes. So this is a uh, a plus for me, I would say. Yeah, I think I think the thing about the film, which is so interesting for me, is that that um, he that Pasolini is using using these stories not to critique the the milieu in which in which the stories exist, but actually to to critique contemporary, you know, modern modern Western society, and you know that that the whole thing, like, and in fact, the whole trilogy part of part of part of its kind of like the ideas behind it is as a critique of sort of bourgeois conservatism and you know like harking back to this time when people people were people were free and liberal and expressive and you know he he he, i i also think like part of the beauty like part of the thing that i just absolutely loved about this film was just the little bits where you have these characters just walking around these mm. incredible sort of stone cities and like you know um mur- mur- gorgeous muraled pal- palaces and 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 these little kind of huts that that just have incredible um craft crafted walls and 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 and, and, and and fabrics and and paintings and it's like this is just this is just the kind of you know the, the, this is a kind of found world for him um and mm. you know that there it just feels for me there's just there's nothing kind of exploitate ex, exploitative about it or that at the very least he's he's kind of like he is he is kind of going to them and wanting to you know going wanting to learn about what they can give him rather than the the opposite trying to kind of impose his ideas on the landscape um but yeah i mean it's it's also i mean I, you know uh, have a like to, to to go on from your your thing about sit, watching on the airplane, I actually did watch this with my. Um, I'd seen it a, a long time ago, and I just forgotten how much uh, full frontal male nudity. David, there is. are you going to say you watched this and your daughter was around? I'm terrified. No, no. Oh my it, god! It was it was actually with my it was with my it was with my seventy um, five year old mother in law. Who's okay. who has got quite who's got quite kind of, you know, she's got she's got good taste in movies, but yeah, this was 
this was a bridge too far. This one, the the sheer the sheer amount of of uh, penis uh, was 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 too much, and it was it, it was the kind of very graphic um, castration scene that 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 was the final yeah. the final straw. So. <laughs> I will Indeed. say, David, watching a man get castrated while sitting next to your mother-in-law, um, it's the puzzling is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> the most very, awkward situations very... you can ever be in. Calling Dr. Freud, indeed. <laughs> on that painful note, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we're going to wrap things up. As always, we want to hear your thoughts on any of the films we discussed this week. You can email truthandmovies at tclondon.com or tweet us at Little White Lies. Next week, David Cronenberg is back with more body horror in Crimes of the Future. Three's a crowd in Claire Denis, both sides of the blade. And in Film Club, it's 1987's splatter cult classic, street trash and boy is that a classic marina haffer thanks so much for your uh your your amazing comments this week haffer enjoy the rest of the festival um hope i, I believe we're going to be hearing you soon on one of our little uh, venice mini pods so uh speak speak soon all that leaves me to say is thanks very much for tuning in and if you enjoyed the show thanks very much for tuning in and if you enjoyed the show please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts Truth and Movies is hosted by me, David Jenkins, and my guests this week were Hafa Salas Ross and Marina Asciotti. Podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.